This message was presented through a partnership between GYC and GYC Europe at the 2012 conference in Linz, Austria. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Okay, once again, good morning, everyone. Sorry for the technical difficulties. Uh, welcome to the seminar on distinct Advent message. Uh, the subtitle is The Sanctuary 1844 and Beyond. Uh, this seminar is two hours and 15 minutes. Have you ever been to a seminar that's two hours and 15 minutes long before? I have not either, so this is going to be very interesting uh, outside of the university. Uh, and I don't want this to be a university-like feel, but I'm afraid it's going to be because we're in that kind of format. But if you have any questions, please, by all means, uh, uh, ask, and we can, we can talk about it. If you have a comment... Just wait till the at, at the end of the at the end of the presentation for it to, for it to, for you to comment. Okay. Before we start, I'm going to ask you. Come on in. Come on in. You're you're late, but we still love you. Uh, come on in. We still love you. Uh, this this presentation is not for the beginner Seventh Day Adventists. We are. Go- I'm going to make a lot of assumptions that you know something, but this is not for advanced people either. We're going to look at a little bit of Greek and a little little bit of Hebrew, but not too much, and it's all in English, so don't worry, okay, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll go through it uh, together, okay, other than that, I think we can have a word of prayer, and we'll get started for today, any questions, any concerns, or any insults that you have before we get started, okay, let's have a word of prayer, bow your heads with me, gracious and merciful Father, Father, we thank you that in this place of the world where your spirit worked mightily in history, that we as Seventh-day Adventists can come together again, and we ask that the word uh, illuminate our minds and our hearts once again. Father, we approach scripture with humility, and Father, if there be anything in us that's, that's arrogant, proud, uh, anything that offends heaven, we ask that the blood of Jesus cover us all. Lord, we are in awe of you, and Lord, manifest your awe to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, the topic of the sanctuary is something that I'm very, 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 very excited about. I'm so passionate, and I get so emotionally uh, enthusiastic that I'm told that in Europe it's not uh, appropriate to be too emotional. Uh, so I'm trying to be not emotional at all, okay? And so I'm trying to be more Korean, more Asian, because Asians, uh, in Europe is it Oriental? And in England it's Oriental, yeah? In America it's Asian. Uh, people thought that I was, I was Indian or Pakistani. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm from Korean background. Anyway, I, I'm trying just to be, to be uh, calm, but if I'm not, please forgive me. The doctrine of the sanctuary is the one unique belief of Seventh-day Adventists. You know this. Sabbath, do other, are there other denominations who believe in the Seventh-day Sabbath? Health message, are there other organizations and denominations who are often healthier than Seventh-day Adventists? Uh, the state of the dead, are there other denominations that believe in the same state of the dead as we do? Yes. So the one unique thing about Seventh-day Adventists is the sanctuary message. And what happens is, sometimes, and I believe as young people, when my friend and I started GYC, we wanted to get into deep Bible study. 
Okay, not deep into weird calculations and calculating who is, you know, oh, it's, uh, you know, Char- Prince Charles is the new Antichrist and Jesus is coming in 2014 of May and not these weird things, but get into real scripture. Amen. And what we were frustrated with was the general mood in the church that if you're young, you are incapable of understanding some of these things. You need a master's degree or a PhD or a THD or a, or a DDDD, whatever, and then you will understand some of these things. But it was amazing that the Seventh-day Adventist Church was started by young people who were studying these things. Oh, he's recording. Okay, so we, uh, the challenge was, can we today in 2012, are we also competent enough are we spiritual enough? Are we, are we in tune with Jesus enough to understand some of these things? And I want to say the majority of young people are not. Why? Because we're technologically abused, uh, our minds are abused, or we're, 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 we're phased by entertainment. So today, I'm asking you that if by our first hour or the first 45 minutes or by one, point, uh, one, one and a half hours, that your mind starts to get fuzzy. Your mind starts to get what? And you start falling asleep. Or you start saying, this is getting boring. Or, I wonder what other seminars are there. Or, what time is it? Okay. Resist the urge. And say, I will want to, I want to focus, I want to, I want to digest this for myself. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, I, I'm, enthusiasm is... is is good, it's good, it's good. Okay, um, the unique of the sanctuary doctrine in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8 and 9. This is a verse that you must not know. This is a verse that you must memorize, yes? The purpose of the Old Testament, a lot of the weird and uh, the, the obscure stuff is very, very important. And it gives clues to the New Testament. And I believe as Seventh-day Adventists, the one book that we all must understand is the book of, which book? Uh, Daniel, very good book, but, but, uh, but wrong answer. Anyone else? <laughs> Revelation, very good. But in order to understand Revelation, we need to understand the book of? Genesis to Jude, very good, okay? So in order to understand Revelation, you need to understand the rest of the? And so, might as well understand the entire Bible. But the problem is this. The book of, of, of Revelation is an inside joke. Okay? That's, a, that's an American colloquialism. I'm not saying the book of Revelation is a joke. You understand? I'm not saying that. But an inside joke. An inside joke is something I don't think I know anyone here. Uh, okay, I don't know anyone here. The speaker this morning was a gentleman by the name of Craig. Yes, you know Craig? He and I are friends, and there are some things that we have an inside joke on. That when we meet, when we see each other at GYC or GYC Europe or whatever event, we'll say, hey, remember those bananas? And then I will start laughing, and he will start laughing, and the two of us are the only two people in the entire conference who know about bananas. But somebody else who's listening into this, they think, these guys are funny. Why are they talking about bananas? Like bananas, like for breakfast? 
And then because they, are, they don't have the context, they misunderstand our conversation. Understand? Revelation is an internal dialogue for people who understand Genesis through Jude. It assumes that you know all the stories of the Old Testament. It assumes that you know the Lord Jesus. It assumes that you aren't familiar with the writings of Paul. So when it talks about Jezebel, Revelation is not talking about Jezebel. It's talking about something in the context of Jezebel. It's not talking about Babylon, but it's something in the context of Babylon. It's not talking about frogs. It's talking about something in the context of frogs. Is this clear? But people who don't understand the rest of the Bible will read the book of Revelation and say, wow, three frogs in Revelation chapter 16, three frogs, green. What is green? The military of America is green. The American military are the three frogs of Revelation 16. There are three of them. They go to the whole world. America is going to conquer the whole world. Very dangerous way of interpreting Scripture. Amen? So today, we're going to look at the one thing, the doctrine of the sanctuary, because this mistake is a mistake that the early Seventh-day Adventists made. When they read Daniel 8.14, they said uh, 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And they think, ah, sanctuary, sanctuary is the... And then if the earth is being cleansed, cleansed with fire, this must be the coming of Jesus. But if we understand the sanctuary, we'll understand what these things have to say. Anyway, Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. Moses writes, and speaking on, uh, God is saying, Let them, them make me a sanctuary that I may what? Dwell. Dwell among them according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and of the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. So what happened to Moses is this. Moses was shown a vision of, of a reality, not on this earth, but where? In heaven. And he saw the pattern, and God said, make the pattern that you saw in heaven, make it here on now, This is very, very, very important, okay? Especially in the context of Europe. Because as you look around, there are old vestiges of earthly sanctuaries around us. Yes? We'll talk a little bit more about that later. It is very dangerous when you say that there is no heavenly sanctuary, but there is a sanctuary here on this earth. Okay? By the way, Seventh-day Adventists, we do not believe that this is a sanctuary, you understand. This place is not holy ground. Yes? There are other denominations that believe once you enter into the church, you are coming into holy, sanctified area. The Seventh-day Adventist Church believes that when God's people come together, the congregation of God's people together, that's a holy convocation. And then that, that building becomes a place where the Holy Spirit arrives. But there's nothing inherent about the holiness of this table or this candle or, or, or whatnot. Is that, is that clear, everybody? Okay. So here, Moses was creating a reproduction of something he saw in heaven. Now, that word dwell in Hebrew is, is the word shekinah. The word what? This, is means, this, is the, this, is, this means the place where God places his presence. So God is saying is this. I want to create a containment system because if I were to come down and because God is holy and we are not, if he were to come down, what would happen to all of us? <laughs> Nuclear irradiation of sanctified proportions. 
Yes? But God says, hey, if I have a containment suit, a has, biohazmat containment system, then I can dwell amongst you. And that's what the sanctuary is. Amen? Here you have Revelation 13, verse 6. The, he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme against his name and his what? His tabernacle and, and to them that dwell in heaven. This is talking about the beast in, in Revelation 13. The, 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 the Antichrist power is very, 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 very anti or is against this heavenly sanctuary model. In Daniel chapter 8, it talks about one of them, out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, towards the pleasant land. Uh, if you know that, you're awesome. If you don't know that, you're still awesome, but you need to know that. Verse 10, it waxed great even to the host of heaven and cast down some of the host of the stars of the ground and stamped upon them. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his what? Sanctuary was... There are, I'm sorry, I think you had a question. There are uh, denominations out there that say there is no heavenly sanctuary. And then there is a particular denomination with the acronym RCC, and we're talking about the denomination, not the people, that says, hey, there is no heavenly, denomina- uh, heavenly sanctuary. We need to bring the heavenly sanctuary down to this earth. Can you think of a place where they have attributes of the heavenly sanctuary here on earth? That when you walk in, there is a cleansing laver, a pool of water. That when you walk in, there is a table of, of the Lord's bread. That there is a candlestick. And then there is an actual incense where they, they go like this, and then the smoke goes out. And then behind that place, there is the actual presence of God. Can you think of places that are here on this earth like that? Don't say it out loud. Just think it in your mind. Yes or no? Now, the problem, uh, the, the issue in the Reformation time was something called transubstantiation and consubstantiation. Are you familiar with this? I went to a Roman Catholic high school for four years. I am not a Jesuit, by the way. I am a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. Okay, I'm not an uh, undercover spy, okay? or am I? <laughs> they would have, uh, on the table, they would have a little wafer, a little piece of bread, yes? This bread is made by a bunch of monks in France. These, these monks manufacture all the bread for the entire world. What happens is these, 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 these circles come in a plastic bag to every Roman Catholic church, and they come in, and they can get it FedEx or, or you know, shipped there. And what happens is you get it in, 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 in a bag, and they bring it to the worship service, the mass, and they bring it up. Now, before, they, before it's just a piece of bread, yes? But when they raise it up, when they raise it up, and then in Latin, they say something that sounds like hocus pocus. This is why today, when you go to magic shows, they make fun of the old Latin mass, and they say what? Hocus pocus. Okay? They say something similar to that, but it's not actually that. And when they say this, the actual bread turns into what? The flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ. The actual flesh. So when I was in Catholic school, an announcement would come on. We are having mass at 10 o'clock. 
if you have chewing gum one hour before the Mass, please spit it out. Or if you have anything in your stomach, please do not eat one hour before the Mass. I'm thinking, why do you have to not eat before Mass? And I talk with the, the theology, the, the priest there, and he said, this is the holy flesh of Jesus. If you were to eat it, and, and, they, and they take, you know the, 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 the Bible verse, Christ in me? That is very, very, what? Literal. You want Christ in you, in your stomach. But if Christ is in you, you don't want breakfast and Jesus to be together. <laughs> Do you understand? So you need to not eat for one hour, and then when the, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the Eucharist goes in your mouth, you are not to chew the Lord Jesus. Do you understand? This is the Lord Jesus. You need to put it in your, mouth, in your mouth, and sometimes you are not worthy to touch. If you watch it on TV or whatever, you cannot touch the Lord Jesus. Some people go up and they go, and they, you know what I'm talking about? They put it in your mouth. And then you need to let the Eucharist melt in your mouth and slowly slide to the back of your throat and enter you. Now, I'm not making fun of them. This is what they told me, you understand. And they have a very high respect for the Eucharist. Now, the whole point is this. When all those Eucharists, after they've been turned into the body of Jesus and they've been distributed to everybody, if there's some left over, what happens to the leftover? Is this still the blood of the body of Jesus? According to their theology. The, the, the wine, is it still the blood of Jesus? It still is, according to their theology. So what they do is they put it in a little, little package, and then they go to the back room. The what, everybody? The back room, and there is an actual little closet that they open up, and they put it in there, and they close it, and no one can go into that back room except for one person. Guess who that is? The priest. It is considered to be the most holy place because that is where Jesus lives, in a container next to some wine in a medicine cabinet. Now, the Reformation was arguing about this because some people said, we believe in transubstantiation, meaning it's the actual changing into the body of Jesus, and there's others that says consubstantiation, that this is merely a what? A symbol. And this is where the Seventh-day Adventist tradition, the Protestant tradition, comes from, yes? We believe that, this, is this Jesus? No. But does it refer back to Jesus as a symbol? Absolutely yes. The whole point is this. There are sanctuaries on this earth. We, according to the Bible, do not believe in an earthly sanctuary. We believe in a heavenly sanctuary. And when we get together on Sabbath... We pray that the Lord blesses this day. He already blessed it with the Sabbath. But there is an internet spiritual downlink between heaven and earth. And heaven and earth worships together only on one day. That day being the, the seventh day of Sabbath. Is that clear? So when you're worshiping on Sabbath, you are not worshiping amongst friends. You need to look at the heavenly realities and all the angels are worshiping along with us. Don't ask me about time zones. I don't know how time zones work in heaven, okay? But they're on heavenly time standard, okay? Daniel and Revelation talk about there are entities who are anti this belief. Verse 12, a host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression. It cast down the truth to the ground. It practiced and prospered. 
Uh, in verse 13 in the middle, it says, How long shall the vision concerning daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation give to both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? And he said unto me, Under 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this. Okay? So if you don't understand this, that's okay. But the, the sanctuary is mentioned there. What is Jesus doing right now? This is the magic question that all Seventh-day Adventists should have an answer to. And let me ask you, how many of you ever asked a non-Seventh-day Adventist friend, do you know what Jesus is doing right now? Let me ask you now, do you know what Jesus is doing right now? Jesus is not on the cross right now. Do you know that? There are denominations, that, and I'm not criticizing other denominations, we're looking at this theologically, okay? Other denominations still believe Jesus is on the cross. And the worship service is still a worshiping of Jesus on the cross. Jesus is still alive now. Do you know that? He's upstairs right now. Up there. And in the book, in, in, in the book of John, he talks about what Jesus did when he was on this earth. Then John writes a second book called what? Revelation. And Revelation talks about when Jesus went upstairs, everybody wants to know what is Jesus doing upstairs. And the book of Revelation is talking about that. The book of Luke also talks about Jesus when he was on this earth. Then he talks about in, in book two, which is called what? When Jesus is up in heaven, there are repercussions that happen here on earth. And Acts is the recording of what happens here on earth when Jesus is in heaven. Does that make sense? And by the way, Pentecost is not the day where the Holy Spirit came down. You understand? Pentecost is the day when the Holy Spirit came down when Jesus arrived in heaven. Okay? We're going to talk about that also a little bit. Um, when Jesus went to heaven, all the angels welcomed him. This is found in Desire of Ages. Okay, and you, you see this from the, the festivals also, the six festivals. When Jesus went to heaven, all the angels welcomed him, and he was crowned king of the universe. And according to Acts chapter 2, Peter says he was now sitting on the, which side? Right-hand side of, of God, meaning he's now enthroned. And Jesus said, as his first act of king of the universe, he sends an email. He sends a what? Email. He goes to heaven, heaven, heavenmail.com, logs in Jesus' password, you know, I don't know what Jesus' password is, you know, whatever, and he sends an email. The two site is to the disciples, and he sends an attachment. A what, everybody? Attachment. And he says, I want to send a gift that is far better than I. He sends an attachment of the Holy Spirit, and it sends. And when the disciples got it, the disciples were not excited to receive the Holy Spirit alone, they were excited to receive an email from who? The Lord Jesus. Does this make sense? Like when I came here, my wife was very worried. Like, wow, this is like Europe is a faraway land, strange people, strange languages, strange airports. And I, got, I came to Paris, then got to Munich, then I got in a car, came to Linz. Long traveling, and my, my wife is worried, 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 worried. And she's waiting by the phone for one thing. What is she waiting for? A call or an email. 
the 12 disciples, they saw Jesus, and they're like waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're thinking, when Jesus goes to space, where is he going? Did he get there? Did he run into a star? Is he okay? What happened to him? And then when he says, oh, hey, when the Holy Spirit comes down, they realize Jesus is now king of the? If Jesus is king of the universe, do they have anything to be afraid of? So, axe goes out. So John is talking about the sanctuary. Luke is talking about the sanctuary. And by the way, if you want to know Matthew, Matthew has nothing to do with sanctuary, but all Matthew points back to the Old Testament. So you're linking the Old Testament with the sanctuary together. Okay? That's just there for free. Heavenly sanctuary. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. Uh, you probably know this. Very familiar. Now of the things which we have spoken is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the where? Uh, right hand of the throne of the majesty in the where? The heavens, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. Is there a heavenly sanctuary? Okay. Now, this, this sanctuary should be our obsession. I'm so excited. I want to know what does this heavenly sanctuary look like? What is it all about? I went to the, the-, I went to the seminary. And a professor asked us this, do you know what the heavenly sanctuary is made out of? What is the heavenly sanctuary made out of? So in class, someone raised their hands. Gold? No. Wood? No. Rubies? No. Diamonds? No. Clouds? No. Then we have the philosophical, intelligent person says, oh, the sanctuary, heavenly sanctuary, is a metaphysical containment system of, of ephemeral material. No. <laughs> oh, it is an analogy. God is not really in a building. It's just a human construct to help us understand in our limited, finite imagination. No. What is the heavenly sanctuary made out of? It's made out of and this old theology professor leaned forward. It's made out of. And all the seminary students leaned forward too. And he whispered. And he said, it's made out of heavenly stuff. <laughs> the point is, we, only, we are only told what the Bible reveals. Amen? And when it comes to the heavenly sanctuary, we want to know all the little details about it. And we want to get into many, are there bathrooms in the sanctuary? Is there electricity? That's not important. The function of the sanctuary is onefold. is to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ, especially his, his full ministry timeline on, on, to the whole world. Is that clear? Yes? Okay. We have the heavenly sanctuary. Sanctuary looks like this. Ooh, what is that? Oh, Okay. Here you have the heavenly sanctuary. This is a, not the, this is not a real picture. This is a PowerPoint construct. Uh, here you have the outer wall here. There should be a gate there. Upon entering, there is the altar of sacrifice. You have all seen this before, yes? Okay. You have the altar of sacrifice made out of bronze. You have the cleansing labor made out of bronze. Bronze, which looks like, or copper, or brass, or depending on what translation, it looks like gold, but it is not gold. Yes? 
And you have these two components of water and fire, or water and blood. And when John is writing about uh, the, the, the gospel of Jesus and the gospel of John, he's talking about Jesus' ministry only here. Jesus came and he was baptized. Jesus came and he, and he died for us. This is the earthly ministry of Jesus. And here, the floor was actual earth. It was on the outside. This represents all of earth, these two things. And the reality is, many, 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 many Christians believe in the Jesus of here. Many evangelical Protestant denominations believe in the Jesus of only here. Make sense? He died for me. He washed me of my sins. Yes? He cleanses me, and he, he, he cleanses me. <laughs> with his blood and with his water. Okay? Now, when, when Nicodemus saw Jesus up on the cross, and Jesus was pierced on the side, what came out on the side? Water and blood. The cross was the manifestation of these two components. Do you understand? Now what happens is, after the priest is done here, there is another component of where? Inside here. Yes? Now there are denominations out there that only believe in here. Okay? Protestants are all about here. Catholics are all about sanctification of the sanctuary. Obviously, they, don't, they do not believe in a heavenly sanctuary, but an earthly sanctuary. And here, there's another ministry going on that we're going to talk about. And at a certain point, Jesus left this place and entered where? And there's only one group of people that believe that Je- I'm moving this thing. I'm so sorry. That, that Jesus is doing something here. Which group is this? Seventh-day Adventists. Okay. Today we're going to look at the history of, of some of the people who don't believe in this. There's some people that say, hey, we don't need this. We don't need this. All we need is this. Now the thing is, the most important component of this is what? The blood of Jesus makes everything possible. Amen? But there is still a process that Jesus revealed to show what happens to his blood and the process of all this together. Inside the holy place... That's so cool. You have the table of showbread. You have the altar of incense. And then you have the golden candlestick. The golden candlestick had seven branches. Table of showbread had 12 loaves of bread. Altar of incense was an incense altar. Okay? (laughs) Now, this is another picture. This is not a real photograph. This is an artist's representation uh, of, of what we're talking about. The direction is very important. I hope this doesn't bore you, but I get so excited. Uh, This is north. This is south. This uh, is east, yes. And this is west. In the Hebrew way of thinking, in the European way of thinking, and the rest of the world, the point of reference is north, yes? Because when you have a compass, the magnet always points towards north. So all the world changed to meet the North Pole. The Hebrew way of thinking, the point of reference is not the North Pole, but where? East, where the sun comes up. Okay? All pagan temples 
and many other uh, early church compromising temples were built facing the sun. And a lot of times you would go into whatever temple or whatever cathedral or whatever temple and you'd walk in and then the backside of the, of the church would be made of stained glass. So on Sunday morning, you would walk into whatever temple and the sun would come up and usually around 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock because noon is sun is right on top. But right around 11 o'clock, that's where the holiest time is. And the reason why a lot of church services today are at what time? The sun would come in, the sun would shine through the stained window, and you would be sitting there, and you would receive the glory of the sun. And then the priest would come out, and he'd raise up his, the, the, the Eucharist. The sun would touch the, the Eucharist. He would say, hocus pocus or whatever, and that would be the body of Jesus. The early Seventh-day Adventist churches were built so that they were facing, guess which way? They would face? West. west. <laughs> okay? They would put their backs to the sun, and they would, they would worship the other way. Jews also did the same thing. The priests would come in this way, and they would be facing, facing the, the west side. Uh, very important, because the table of showbread would always be on the which way? The north. Now, you may be thinking, oh, what is this? What is this? So, this is pointless. You're just an Asian nerd who's looking at all the details. That is true. That is very, very true. But it is important because the table being on the northern side, it talks about in Isaiah 14 and in Ezekiel 28, there is another character who says, I want to sit on the sides of the north. The sides of the what? And it talks about this table of showbread is not a normal table. This table of showbread, I'm just going to use this as an example. This is such an old Bible. This table would have a crown around it, and this was a place where the king would seat, sit. The king's seat was right at this table. And what Satan and Lucifer wanted to do, he says, I want to sit at this table. The whole great controversy is really based on seating. Amen? He just wants to sit here. He wants to be king. Okay? This is going to, be, going to make sense a little bit later on, but I'm just going through the basics here. Um, this is an artist's representation. You have the table of showbread. From which direction are we seeing this from? We are from the north looking towards the south. Okay? And that we see the, the Ark of the Covenant. That is an artist's representation. We don't know if the actual handles went this way. Because if the handles went this way, it's very difficult for the Jews to put it in that way. So many people say it went, not this way, but this way. They just put it in that way. And then the, the, the cherubim, we don't know if they look like that, but that's one, one estimation of it. And you see the Shekinah glory right in between the two cherubim there. Um, the sanctuary in Revelation. Do you have your Bibles? Okay, uh, Take your Bibles out. And I didn't put these verses on there because I want us to really understand and get into this. The sanctuary is in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. By the way, while you're looking there, the book of John also follows the book of Revelation. Did you know that? Chapter 1, it says, Behold the Lamb of God. Then says, then Jesus goes in and says, I give you the water of life. Then he says, I am the light of life. And then he says, I am the bread of life. Then he goes and he prays for the, the 12 disciples. It's actually following through the sanctuary as a map, if you will. 
And those who understood the sanctuary in John's day completely knew what, what John was doing. Uh, so it's not that Jesus is just going around and saying, I am the, the, the projector of life. I am the flower of life. No, Jesus had a very strategic uh, reason why he's saying these things. Anyway, let's go to Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. Are you there? Let's read verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a what? A, a what? A great voice, a loud voice, okay, a loud voice as a what? A trumpet. Okay, just, just, just put that in the back of your mind. Okay, trumpet, loud voice, Okay. And then after that, he says, verse 11, I'm the Alpha Omega, and goes to all the churches. Verse 12, I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven what? Okay. If you did not know about the sanctuary, and you read the book of Revelation, and you saw that Jesus is near seven golden candlesticks, what would you think? What would you think? Oh, uh, this is a weird vision. Uh, is this Jesus' seventh birthday? Why does he have seven candles in front of him? Uh, I don't understand. But for those, we just covered the sanctuary. We're like, oh, seven candlesticks? Seven candlesticks! Ding, ding! And then there would be a linkage. Amen? Jesus right now is where? Holy place. Amen? Amen? Okay. Oh, go to verse, uh, verse 5. Go to verse 5. Uh, from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and what? Washed us from our sins, and in his own what? This is talking about which ministry? The earthly ministry, that's, oh, that's, that's the wrong slide. Uh, the, the one's outside, right? Jesus was outside, he died, he resurrected, and then he ascended to heaven, and when he went to heaven, he entered into the... Holy place, and you're scratching your head. What is Jesus doing in the holy place? You go to Revelation chapter uh, 1, verse 10, and it says, He heard a, a trumpet, a loud voice, and Jesus is near seven golden candlesticks. Which direction is this? Northwest, south, east, or west? South. Yes, yeah, south. Very good. South, 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 south. Okay, verse 12. So, seven golden candlesticks, verse 13. In the midst of the seven golden candlesticks was like one, the son of. And he says, He was clothed with a garment with a foot, down to the foot. Girt about the paths with a golden girdle, his hair and his uh, his head and his hairs were white like wool, white as snow, eyes a flame of fire, and all, describing Jesus. Jesus is wearing the clothes of a priest. Okay, so we know we're, he's in the holy place. Then it talks about chapter two and three, the seven churches. Yeah, each of the golden candlesticks are one of the seven churches. Yes, the priest's job was to see these seven golden candlesticks, and the priest's job was to stare at these golden candlesticks all day. All day. Why? It was the priest's job that when the, when the fire is going on, there's a wick, and then there's oil, yes? If the, if, the, if the flame starts to wither, what's his job? He puts more oil, replaces the stick, and he's just waiting there all day, Okay? Now, they go through shifts, and I don't know the system, but that's his job. Okay? Now, what the book of Revelation 2, chapter 2 and 3 is saying is Jesus is in heaven, and he's staring at the seven what? And he's watching. But the golden candlesticks are not real gold candlesticks, but they're seven what? Churches. And Jesus is in the midst of the golden candlesticks, meaning Jesus is in the midst of the 
churches. So, and you guys know the seven churches. You have Ephesus, you have Smyrna, you have Pergamos, Theratira, Sardis, Philadelphia. Did I miss one? Anyway, the seven churches. And then last, Laodicea. Jesus is in the midst of all those. Even when the church is in apostasy, is Jesus in the midst of that church? Yes. And Jesus' job is to make sure that what? That fire is still there. Okay? Jesus' job is to make sure he's in charge of all the churches. Amen, you guys? And in this, these seven churches talk about the history from all the way from 31 all the way to the last days of when Jesus comes. It's talking about the entire history of the, of, the, of the Christian church. How many of you are from a dead church? Don't raise your hands. Your pastor might be here. How many of you are from a Ephes, Ephesian church? You have the truth. You know what's right, but there is no passion whatsoever. How many of you are from a Smyrna church, a suffering church? People are dying in your church. Literally, they're dying in your church. Or they're going through emotional suffering, whatever suffering, being persecuted. How many of you are from a compromising church? You go to church, and they're just doing whatever they want to do. It's not even like church. How many go to church that's so out there, it doesn't even feel like church? Totally a worldly church. How many of you go to a church that's totally falling asleep? Sardis. You go to church, everyone's sleeping. Everyone is, is, is old. Everyone is, is just snoring. How many of you go to a church that's completely full of love? And how many of you go to a church that's totally lukewarm? These seven churches describe the seven types of churches that exist in the world today and the seven eras of the Christian church. But throughout them all, where is Jesus? He? In the midst of them. Amen? And from 31 A.D. to 1844, Jesus' job was to overlook the what? The seven churches. Okay? Amen? Okay. Revelation 2 and 3. Covered. Go to chapter 4. Chapter 4. Chapter 4. Chapter 4. Chapter 4. Are you there? It's just the next page. Chapter 4. Okay. Good, good, good. The, the secret of Bible study is to look for the word that is repeated over and over and over again. Okay? The secret of Bible study is what? Repetition. Uh, when I was uh, driving, I like driving. In America, we have long roads. We go from California to New York. And uh, I don't know about you, but I like driving. I put on my sunglasses. I get into my seat, adjust the back. The, the, the bottom part, the air conditioning, perfect. Music, perfect. Mirror, perfect. And I was driving with my friend and his little brother. And we were driving. And we were driving for 15 hours. Now, when a man drives, he drives. No bathroom breaks for girls. Okay? So when you drive for 15 hours, never drive with a girl. Amen? Okay, good. So you're driving, and you're driving and driving and driving. And then the little brother said, I'm hungry. We are not stopping. We are focused on the destination. We will die before we arrive. We will arrive in 15 hours. The little child was very upset. He says, I want to eat. No. 
I'm hungry. I want French fries. No. And I was so adamant. And I was, I was playing around with him. But he was little, and I'm older, and I like to bully people. So I said, no, 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 no. Then he got really quiet. And when children become really quiet, it's very dangerous. And he's looking out into the window, and we're driving. And then he screams out, one! One what? What's he talking about? I don't know. A couple minutes later, three! Three what? What are you you doing? (laughs) What are you doing? Seven! Eight! Twelve! Ugh! 14! What are, you, what are you doing? Are you a bomb that's going to go off? What are you, why are you counting? And he was getting frustrated. And we were getting frustrated because we don't know what he's doing. And I said, what is your little brother doing? I don't know. We're, we're all, are you okay? Are you, are you, are you dying? Are you, what, are you, what are you doing? 22! And it's getting higher and higher and higher. So finally around 30 or 40, I forget what number, we actually pulled off. And he said, okay. I'm sorry, but why, why are you counting? Counting It's a psychological damage that's going on. I'm, I'm curious. What's going on? And he starts crying. I just want some French fries. Okay, hey, we'll get you some French fries. No problem. But why are you counting? I was counting how many restaurants we passed by that sold what? French fries. The key to Bible study is to look for French fries. <laughs> Amen? Now you may be thinking, what? <laughs> Revelation chapter 4. There are French fries in Revelation. Amen? There's no amen. Okay, good. Chapter 4. You want to look for what word is being repeated over and over. This is the secret and, and, and the fun of Bible study. For chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. The first voice which I heard, as it was the trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up thither, and I will show thee these things which, mu- which must be hereafter. Now, by the way, if you're confused, uh, this is uh, another, another lecture. But what's happening here is we're in the heavenly sanctuary, but John was shown what's happening here on earth. Okay, the seven churches here on earth. And then he says, hey, come up here. We'll show you what's happening in the holy place. Chapter 2, uh, verse 2, verse 2. Immediately, I was in the spirit, and behold. What, what did I say? The second uh, secret to Bible study is to, it's, it is to value each word. The word behold is a magical word. Yes? In the Hebrew and the Greek way of writing, there are no exclamation marks. Know what? There, there's no way to convey emotion. Instead, they put a word there. T- today, if you want to convey emotion, you put an exclamation mark. Or, amongst younger people, when you're texting, you use something called e- emoti icon. Emo- emoticon. Emoticon. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, do you have emoticons in Europe? Of course you do. Okay. Okay. So, when you say hi, it's just hi. If you do hi, period... It's a passive-aggressive high. High. But if you do high exclamation mark, it's high. But if you do H-I with a smiley face, it's what? High. <laughs> do you understand? And if you do H-I, happy face, 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 what does that mean? 
That means you're a stalker. <laughs> now, when the Bible is trying to convey emotion, it uses the word behold. What? So whenever you see the word behold, you need to stop. And you need to take a breath. Because there's so much emotion going on here. The Bible is saying this is important. Amen, everybody? Let's go back to the Bible. Chapter 4, verse 2. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one that sat on the throne. He that sat was to look upon like jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight of like an emerald. And round about the throne were 24 seats. Upon the seats I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before the first, before and behind. The first beast, second beast, third beast. Go to verse 9. And those beasts gave glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, which live forever and ever. Twenty-four elders fell down before him and sat on the throne and worshipped him that lived forever and ever and cast their thrones about the throne. What is the French fry of Revelation chapter 4? Throne. Did you see that? Did anyone miss that? We can do that one more time. Okay, good. Now, go to chapter 4, verse 5. Out of the throne proceeded what? Lightnings and thunderings and what? Okay. Now I'm going to ask you just, just use your thinking caps. Before the, the seven, seven candlesticks, John heard what? He heard a great voice and like a trumpet. A great voice. Yes? Here, there is now voices and then what, is, what does he see? Lightnings and thunderings. Yes? Those two are coupled as the same thing. And here, verse 5, and just keep that in the back of your mind, verse 5, there were seven lamps of fire burning before the what? So where is he right now? On the other side, he sees seven candlesticks. So where is he right now? He's in the holy place, but what article of furniture is he at? The table of showbread. It makes sense. Okay. So first, he's at the, 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 the seven, seven golden candlesticks. Boom, seven churches. Then he comes to the table of showbread, and boom, after this, there should be seven something. Look at your Bibles in chapter 5, 6, and 7. Seven, what happens after this? Chapter 5, there is another throne. In verse, chapter 5, verse 1, I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals, okay? If you guys know Revelation, there are seven, 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 yes? Candlestick, boom, seven churches. Table of showbread, boom, seven seals. And the seven seals represent, this is another Bible study altogether, that Jesus is now king of the universe. And this book in chapter five, there is only one person who is worthy to open the book. And all the angels are like, who is worthy? Who is worthy? No one's worthy. No one's worthy. Oh, no one's worthy. Who is worthy? The, 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 the French fry in chapter 5 is worthy. Yes? Who is worthy? No, no. And then finally Jesus comes out. He ascends to heaven. They're like, ha ha. He is worthy. And he comes in and he can take the book 
and he can now open the book. And every seal that he opens, doosh, 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 is opening into a new era in, in Christian history. Amen? Seven churches. Here, you have seven periods in Christian history that declare Jesus is still king of the universe. Jesus is still worthy. Amen? Here, Jesus is watching over the churches. Amen? Here, Jesus is still worthy as our king. Amen? Keep going. I was going to skip the, the, the seven uh, the seals. Go to chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 2. Chapter 8, verse 2. Chapter 8, verse 2. Are you with me so far? Amen? Aren't you guys excited? I get excited. Like, Has this ever happened to you when you're reading Revelation and sometimes you don't know what's going on? It seems like all all mixed together. Has this happened to you? It happens to me all the time. I don't know what's going on. But when I follow the sanctuary, I'm like, I know where he is. This is an internal GPS system for Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay, anyway. Chapter 8, chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 2. Chapter 8, verse 2. Are you there? It's the next page. Okay, verse 2. I saw seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given what? Seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the where? Oh, this is a, so. Where, 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 where are we still? Okay, so first Jesus was at the seven golden candlesticks. Then we're at the seven uh, seals with the table of showbread. Now we're where? The golden altar. Okay, the altar having golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which is before the throne, and the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. The angel took the censer, filled it with fire of the altar, cast it into the earth, and there were what? There was what? Voices. Did we see that before? Yes. And then there's what? Thunderings and lightnings. Have we seen that before? Yes. And then what? Then we see what? Earthquake. Have we seen that before? No. Do you see what's happening? Jesus was here, voices. Jesus was here, voices and thunderings and lightnings. Jesus is here, there's voices, thunderings and lightnings, and an earthquake. Are these three places linked? Is there a flow going on here? Amen. Okay. After this, you see the seven trumpets. And we're going to, the, the seven trumpets basically mean this. Back in the Old Testament times, when you were in times of trouble, you take out your trumpet, and what would you do? Whatever you do. Okay, I can't do it. And this represented when we are on this earth, and we are in times of trouble, we pray, and then God hears our prayer, and God answers our prayer, just like as we were listening to a trumpet. The Christian church had seven points, of, seven points in history where the Christian church was in trouble, and God answered their prayers each time, especially when they're under attack by the Roman Empire. And that's another historical study that we can't get into. By the way, do you know when you pray, your prayers, according to what Jesus says, must be addressed to God the Father? Amen? To God the Father, in Jesus' name, through the Holy Spirit. Too often in our churches, we have, I don't know why, in children's divisions, we don't pray to God the Father, we pray to Jesus. Yeah? Do you do this here in Europe? 
that because God is God the Father is an old man with a long beard, but Jesus is a teddy bear. He's a nice guy, so we pray to Jesus. I don't know why we do that. Uh, when you pray, your prayers, if you don't pray in Jesus' name, they go up, they go to the ceiling, and they come back down. And you get a message that says, 404, undeliverable. But you need to log in, go to gmail.com, put in Jesus' name, type in Jesus' password, and you use Jesus' username. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' username. And you type an email, and to the two, you put God the Father. Make sense? And only when you press click, that email says message sent and goes over. What happens is your prayer comes into the holy sanctuary and Jesus is praying on our behalf also. And what happens is his prayer, our prayers come up and he receives our, and his prayers gets mixed with our prayers and only because that they're mixed does he send them up to God the Father. Do you understand? This is what it means for him to be our intercessor. Okay. Jesus is our intercessor. We do not need another human being to be our intercessor. Amen? So don't say, hey, can you pray for me? Because God doesn't hear my prayers, but he probably hears your prayers. Is that a truism? That's not a truism. At all. That is Roman Catholic saint belief. Only you're, you're worshiping the saint. That's your friend. Okay? That's, that's really creepy. Okay? Go to chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 19. Chapter 11, verse 19. You have the seven angels, seven trumpets, 7777. 7777. Are you guys with me still? Okay. Seven, or chapter 11, verse 19. The seven angels sounds in verse 15. Go to verse 19. The temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the what? The ark of the... Co- uh, what, what? Ark of his testament. Amazing. We see the last piece of furniture here. And get this. There was what? Lightnings. Have we seen that before? Voices. Have we seen that before? Earthquake. Have we seen that before? But guess what? What's the last thing? Hail. Now you may be wondering, okay, pastor, I see the pattern. I see the french fries. What does this have to do? Okay. Only in one point in, 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 in the Bible. And get this. Everything in Revelation points back to a story in the Old Testament, yes? According to all the Bible stories you know, all the Uncle Arthur stories you know. Do you guys have Uncle Arthur here? Maybe it's Uncle Arturo? I don't know who he is in Europe. Uncle Arthur's stories, all the cradle roll stories. Where was there a period where you saw voice, of, voice as the sound of thunder, lightnings and thunderings, and an earthquake? Where have you seen that before? Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was a place where you saw all these things. But the question is this. And this means that God is revealing these things from Mount Sinai to all of us. Was there hail at Mount Sinai? Was there hail at Mount Sinai? If you go to Exodus, hail is not mentioned at Mount Sinai. But it's mentioned in one other place in the book of Exodus. And hail is, has, has, has to do with judgment. Has to do with what? We're going to talk about judgment also. What's happening is this. Revelation is talking about what Jesus is doing on our behalf right now. Since AD 31, he was in the holy place, yes? In 1840, we're going to look at the calculation. In 1844, Jesus moved from the holy place to the 
most holy place. Does that mean he stops answering prayers after 1844? Be very, very clear. When Jesus moved from the earthly earthly ministry to the holy place, did Jesus' blood stop working on our behalf? No, his blood still goes on through, yes? Holy place ministry. Just because Jesus moved into the most holy place, does that mean the holy place stops? No, this also continues through. And now Jesus is where? In the most holy place. And the question is this, what is Jesus doing in the most holy place? That's the question we're going to ask. Okay? We're going to take a 15-minute break, and we'll come back and look at the rest of this. Okay, we will come back. What time is it now? It is 10.50. We'll come back at 11 o'clock. What time, everybody? 11 o'clock. With German-Austrian precision, we will start at 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock. We'll get started here. Uh, it's uh, 11 o'clock on the dot, and uh, we're going to get started. Let's have a word of prayer just to get our minds back into gear, and we'll, we'll get jiving here. Gracious Father, Lord, reveal to us what you have made clear uh, in the book of Revelation. Lord, we want to be a people that, that wistfully look towards heaven. Uh, Father, if there be any, anything that distracts that, we ask that you remove it. Lord, if I have, something, if I have said something of ill will, we'll remove that. And uh, bless us now with your Holy Spirit. Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, some questions that came up uh, this, in, in the break was, how do you know in Revelation 4 that this is the crown, uh, uh, or this is the, the, the throne room? Um, it doesn't say per se exactly that this is the, the, the table of showbread, but we know from the Old Testament that the table of showbread had a crown around it, and this functioned as a, a throne uh, room per se. The Daniel 7 said there were wheels on the throne, so God moved back and forth from the holy place and the most holy place. If you want to know in, in Reble- uh, Isaiah chapter 14, you can turn there really quick. Isaiah 14, verse 12, it says, the Bible says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Verse 13, you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above, above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation. I will sit in the sides of the north. And you see that this table of shepherds is also on the northern side. There's all these allusions together. Uh, But very good question. We're going to press along here. This is a long quote from Great Controversy, page 409. Can we read this together? Okay. I mean, not read it together, but uh, pay attention. I don't know about you, but when I read LNY quotes that are really long on the screen, I I get like, uh. But this is a very good one, so don't do that. Just be like, okay. (laughs) The scripture, which above all others has been both the foundation and the central pillar of the Advent faith was the declaration Unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed, Daniel 8.14. Our belief system falls on this one verse, Daniel 8.14. These prophetic days have been shown to terminate in the autumn of 1844. In common with the rest of the Christian world, Adventists then held that the earth, or some portion of it, was the sanctuary. They understood that the cleansing of the sanctuary was the purification of the earth by the fires of the last great day, and that this would take place at the second advent, hence the conclusion that Christ would return to the earth in 1844. Uh, this is a, a, a belief uh, that, that many of the Christians held. Sanctuary is earth. 
But after today, you all know that the sanctuary is not the earth, but the sanctuary is upstairs. Very good. In heaven. Uh, in the Korean culture, we have something called bathhouses. Do you have bathhouses here? You do? No. Okay. Well, Korean bathhouses are even better. Okay. The reason why is this. We have something that feels like sandpaper. And we take this and we scrub it on our skin. Okay? And we make fun of the world because the rest of the foreigners, you know your skin is always dying. You need to exfoliate. Okay? That's where dust comes from. Dust is human skin. You know that? It's, it's beautiful. Okay. So... <laughs> Koreans, we take this thing and we go into the bathhouses. And by the way, men go to men and women go to women. Amen? No, no mixing. No, no. Okay. Anyway, you, you go like this. And what happens is it, when foreigners come to Korea and go through this, they've never done it before. And girls love it. Guys get weirded out. What happens is if you do this, and it's not this, this, this it's your skin turns red, that your skin starts to peel off. It doesn't hurt. It's just your dead skin falls off. Okay? And what happens is many people lose kilos from doing this because you're carrying on dead skin wherever you go. And then make fun of the Westerners because Westerners take some soap and then take a loofah. Do you have a loofah? And they do this. Well, the loofah doesn't do anything. It's just, you're just, anyway, taking the oil off of your body, but the skin still remains. After you do this, what remains on the floor are the dead skin um, materials of everybody. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Now, think about it. Imagine that we all go to this bathhouse. Not together, but, uh, you know, on one day. Okay? And uh, they scrub me gray, brownish skin. Okay? Some of you come in, and because you're lighter skin, you have, like, pinkish, white skin. The other of you, the darker skin, and you come like brownish, darkish, tannish, coffee-colored skin. Okay. And at the end of the day, all of us are squeaky clean. You know that? Ear, ear, ear. <laughs> squeaky clean. Okay? Squeaky clean. You know, your, your pores are all clean. And when you leave, you sweat easily. Did you know that? Because the pores are all like, all this, all this water pretty nasty. We are all clean, but what is dirty? The bathhouse floor is dirty, yes? So at the end of the day, when everybody? At the end of the day, someone needs to come in, not clean the people, but clean the bathhouse. Does this make sense? Do you understand? Are you picking up what I'm laying down? Are you flying through the sky? You're like, what? what no. Okay. okay. When we come to the sanctuary and you say, Lord, forgive me for my sin, what happens is, in the Old Testament time, I, I don't have anything. I would lay my hands on the lamb. My sin is transferred to the lamb. Lamb is dead. Blood comes out. Blood is trans, uh, sin is transferred from the lamb to the blood. Priest picks up the blood. Who's carrying the sin? The priest. The priest walks inside the sanctuary, takes this, and sprinkles in the sanctuary. Where is the sin? 
sanctuary. Amen? Who is the Lamb? Who is the blood? Who is the priest? Who is the sanctuary? It's all Jesus. But the sanctuary helps delineate the functions of every component of Jesus' ministry. Amen? Now, if, if, if you are, um, the sanctuary is, is, it should be only studied for people who are obsessed with Jesus. You understand? There are many people today that says, ah, oh, don't get into that complicated stuff. Simple. Jesus died for you. You're going to heaven. How many of you want to go to heaven? Amen. Let's go to heaven. That's the gospel. Is that the gospel? Yeah, yeah. No, not really. Okay. Those people who are obsessed with Jesus want to know every component about you. And Jesus reveals all these little things. So you don't have to be a Bible nerd and calculate all these things. That's not what a Christian is. It's a people who are obsessed with Jesus. Amen, everybody? This is why we're doing this. It's amazing that when you, talk, when you see people who are obsessed with sports, they want to know every detail about sports. David Beckham. How many of you know David Beckham? Apparently he's a soccer player, yeah? He's a football player. There are people who know how many hairs he has, strands of hair. They know his haircut. They know his shampoo, his toothpaste. He knows what time he wakes up. He knows who his wife is. Does he have more than one wife? I don't know. I don't, I don't know who he is. He's the only European person that I know that's popular. And he, he, they know all these components. What would I say if I told you I am a David Beckham fan, but I don't even know what sport he plays? <laughs> am I a real David Beckham fan? No, what am I? I'm a poser wannabe, you know, loser. <laughs> okay. There are many Christians who say that they're Christians, but they don't know anything about Lord Jesus Christ. And the one question that they should be able to answer is, what is Jesus doing right now? That's the simple question they should be able to answer. Amen, everybody? Okay, just because you're in church, that does not make you a Christian. Amen? Just because you're in a garage, that does not make you a car. Just because you're in a doghouse, that does not make you a dog. Just because you're in a microwave, that does not make you popcorn. Amen? Amen? Okay, I don't know if you got that, but you got that. Sanctuary message opens a complete system of truth, unlocks the great disappointment, it sets us apart, reveals what Jesus is doing in heaven right now, and is essential to the Adventist identity. And I believe this. Every Christian who is sincere, non-Adventist world, they will become a Seventh-day Adventist. They will not necessarily become a Seventh-day Adventist church member. They, they, they will understand what Jesus is doing for them. Now, here's the point. I want to say this very carefully. If you understand what Jesus is doing, but you don't know Jesus, this is a dangerous message for all of us. Yes? If you understand everything about Adventism, but you don't know the Lord Jesus personally, this message is a horrible, tyrannical message. But if you know the Lord Jesus, this is the most freeing message on earth. Amen? Sanctuary is, has always been attacked. If you guys don't like uh, church history, then you can sleep for the next 15 minutes. 
If you don't like to learn about the bad parts, then, then, uh, then you can ignore this. But in 1860, you have B.F. Snook, W.H. Brinkerhoff. 1900s, you have uh, Dudley Canwright, uh, A.F. Ballinger, John Harvey Kellogg. 1930s, you have Conradi, W.W. Fletcher. In the 1980s, you have Robert Brinsmead and Desmond Ford. How many of you know Desmond Ford? Okay. Um, what's very funny is some of these attacks, they come every 30 years. Every generation has the same exact argument, a little bit different, but the basic same premise. And what happened is after 1930s, something should have happened in the 1960s, but because we had the world wars in the 30s and 40s, it just got pushed 20 years, and now it's in the 1980s. Um, Desmond Ford was a brilliant, 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 brilliant theologian. And I don't know about you, but I am an intellectual snob. I appreciate intelligent people. Uh, and Desmond Ford was so brilliant that in Australia, that there, uh, there are some people who went to his classes. They said, instead of going to the Ellen White DVD, the CD, back, then, back then they had CD-ROM, don't look at the Ellen White Index, a DVD or CD-ROM. Just ask Desmond Ford, because he has a photographic memory. He knows where everything is anyway. And he's much faster than a computer. Brilliant man. Because of him, one-third of the pastors in Adventism in Australia left the church. One-third of the pastors. Okay? This, these guys all have the same argument. They attack the sanctuary. And basically what they're saying is this. Uh, oh, let me read this one. Okay? Uh, I'm an intellectual, intellectual snob, and, and I, I read this. And I really appreciated this. Okay? Many a portion of Scripture which learned men pronounce a mystery or passed over as unimportant is full of comfort and instruction to him who has been taught in the school of Christ. Now, read this. Read this. Oh, I love this. One reason why many theologians have no clearer understanding of God's word is they, what? Close their eyes to truths which they do not wish to. So this, this, this is profound. Error is not because of lack of intellectual power. And after reading this, I realized intelligence, although it is useful, is not the basis for truth. It is the condition of the, the heart. And I realized this. If you're smart, smarter people do not sin less. They just, smart, uh, they just sin smartly, smarter. Right? Intelligent people sin intelligently. Amen? Yes, yes or no? Dumb people sin dumb. They go out and then they rob something. Dumb. They don't even wear a mask. They just give me your money. Smart people go into stock. <laughs> no, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. Okay? There are shades of Adventism out there. Uh, in history, uh, that you, you are either an Adventist or a backslider. <laughs> there was only two types of Adventists. Uh, since the 1960s onward, there has been different types of Adventists. One is the evangelical Adventist. This is the Adventist who is basic reduction of Adventism. Jesus died for you. Jesus washed you of your sins. Now go and, 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 and go. That, that, that's, that's all there is. Okay? Uh, there is nothing different between a Sunday Christian and a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, except for you go to church on Saturday, and even that, you don't really have to go. You can be an Adventist and go to church on 
on Sunday and do what they do, then, then why are you something? Oh, well, you eat veggie meat. That's the only reason why you are a something Adventist. I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious, but... The Denzia also a progressive Adventist. Another word for progressive Adventist is also liberal Adventist. These are Adventists who do not believe a lot of... Uh, they do not believe that the Bible is inspired... Uh, they believe there are portions of the Bible that are to be inspired, that are inspired, and they need to be figured out. The Word of God is not the Word of God, but contains the Word of God. Have you guys heard this before? Okay, I'll say it one more time because you might have missed this. There are some people who believe this is the Word of God, and there's another group of people that believes this contains the Word of God. What is the difference between the two? It's not everything. It's the human mind must determine what is inspired and what is not. And in England, there's something called the, uh, the Jesus Seminar, where a bunch of theologians sit around a table, and it's a really bizarre thing that they do. I don't know why they do it. And they put, they put up on public uh, a Bible verse. And they say, how many of you think it's inspired? And if you think it's inspired, you, you put a, a red marble in a bag. If you don't think it's inspired, you put a blue marble in the bag. And then they gathered all the marbles and they pour it out. It's like, yes, we have more red marbles. Yes, this, this verse is inspired by God. Okay, next verse. And then, okay, and more marbles. Come. I don't know why marbles. That's really bizarre. Um, it is not for the human mind to determine what is inspired. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Anyway, that's, that's their whole thing. There you have historical Adventists. Historical Adventists are those... Now, this does not mean Adventists who do not appreciate history, but they believe that history, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, Adventist, Adventism of history, was the good old days, the golden days, where everything was perfect and pure, and we all need to go back to those days. We need to read those guys and not just learn from them, but we need to... Uh, 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 think exactly like them and not move away from their positions. A lot of them, many of them tend to be uh, semi-Aryan perspectives on Jesus. Uh, they want to dress like them, eat like them, you know, whatever. Uh, there is a lot of value to historical Adventists, but uh, they have a different perspective. Then you have biblical Adventists. These are Adventists who believe in the, in the Bible, um, and everybody thinks they're a biblical Adventist. How many of you think you're a biblical Adventist? Okay, uh, that's everybody, everybody thinks they're here, okay, but we don't know if, if we are. We need to see if we're in the Bible. And that's, you have separation Adventists. I call these Jihadventists. How many of you know Jihadventists? Okay, they believe that the world is coming soon, that uh, we need to go around and measure all the skirts of the girls if they're long enough to go and sneak at plates to see if there's cheese, to see how much, you know, look at our iPods to see what kind of music we're listening to and see how much, you know, hair, hair gel we put in, only 14 ounces or whatever. They're, they're very into standards and they ultimately believe the Adventist church is Babylon. Adventist church is an apostasy and that we need to leave the Adventist church and be a pure group outside the Adventist church and uh, there, there is also problems there. Um, Ellen White said about separation Adventists, not about them, but uh, a quote that the Seventh-day Adventist Church will continue to the end. There will be a period of shaking. Be a, it, will be, it, may, it may seem like the Adventist Church is about to fall. Uh, a lot of crazy stuff happening, but it will continue to the end. And there's nowhere in, in Scripture or in her writings that, that talk about the Adventist Church being Babylon. The two arguments, there are two arguments uh, about um, that the, the, the attackers of the sanctuary use. Revelation, uh, Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. 
verse 19 and 20. Okay? Now, this is advanced stuff, but this is so much fun. Okay, we're going to make it really, really simple, and we won't get into the details and just distill it. Okay? Revelation chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Are you there? Okay. Are you still with me? Amen? Okay, good, good, good. 19. Uh, The Bible reads, Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters into the, within the veil where the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay. Bible teaching. Jesus goes into the holy place, goes into the, oh, over here. <laughs> Seven candlesticks. Boom. Table of showbread. Boom. Uh, altar of incense. And in 1844, he goes into the most holy place. Now, attackers of the sanctuary say, according to this verse, it says that Jesus, when he went up into heaven, he entered into, inside the what? The veil. Question. There are two veils in the sanctuary, yes? The first veil separated the outside from the holy place. The second veil separated from the holy place and the most holy place. Two veils. Veil, veil. Which veil was this? Seventh-day Adventists say, oh, when Jesus went into heaven, he came into the holy place, so he entered into the, the first veil. And we read this verse thinking it was the first veil this entire time. Oh, it's the first veil. It's the first veil. First veil. First veil. Of course it's first veil. Desmond Ford and these guys come around and say, wait a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. If we look at the Greek, if we look at the what? Greek. There are two different words for the first veil and the second veil. And because... I'm not good at Greek, and we don't have any Greek youth conference here. We're not going to look at Greek. But when they looked at the Greek, this word for veil, guess which veil it was. Second veil. Is anybody having a heart attack right now? When I heard this, I I was like, because if it's the second veil, That means when Jesus went into heaven, he did not go into the holy place. He went into the most holy place. If he's in the most holy place, then what's 1844? Nothing. What is the the holy place? Nothing. Is Jesus coming? Adventism? Ellen White? Great cards? Adventism? Veggie meat? Do you understand? This one verse says, Goodbye, SDA, sayonara, avitersin. Do you understand? How many of you have a problem? Now, many, many, for many, many years, many Adventists says, Oh. <laughs> and, they, and they hide behind, they, they don't want to read. They don't, uh, we, do, we don't, uh, what? What's a veil? No, this is not important. Let's just eat our veggie meat and go to church. No, don't, don't think about it. Don't think about it. 
Whenever there's a problem in Scripture, there are various reactions. One is to say, really? It's the inside veil? Okay. And you don't study Scripture and you leave the church. That's reaction number one. Reaction number two is to ignore it. Reaction number three is to get angry and start attacking everybody around you. Are there many Adventists like that? There's some funny jihadventists. They're all around you, okay? They're hiding. <laughs> They're hiding. Reaction number four is to go back to what? Bible. During the Great Disappointment, they went back to the Bible. They, they go and you want to study back the Bible. And there is, if, if you guys are real Bible nerds, if you're really good, if you, if you love the Lord Jesus, read a series called the Darkom series. Okay? Darkom is not a Japanese robot. Darkom it means the Daniel and Revelation Committee study books. And in many ways, this is kind of weird, kind of weird, but I kind of, a little bit, just a little way, in a, in a minor way, kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for Desmond Ford because if he was here, the church got back to what? Studying the Word of God and trying to clarify some of these issues. Okay, do you understand? Uh, I'm not a follower of Desmond. I'm just saying it's allowed for the opportunity to do so. Anyway, so you may be thinking, how, Pastor, can you resolve this? You look in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness and to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the what? The veil. And maybe thinking, ah, it's here. This veil must be the first veil. When we go to scripture, uh, the, he, the Greek, it also says the what? The second veil. Big problem, big problem. That is to say, his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. Pastor, I'm having a heart attack. Please resolve this for me right now. Please resolve. Do you want this to be resolved? Yes. Yeah or nine? Yeah, okay. We find in the Old Testament, the high priest went into, I'm going to cover this up so you don't read it, went into high priest, went into the holy place, not just once, but he went to what? twice. Like, really? During the course of a year, he only went to the most holy place once in the Day of Atonement. That's true. That's true. But one other time where he went in was the very first time that the entire sanctuary was to be inaugurated. To be what? Inaugurated. Inauguration means when in Numbers 7, Exodus 40, when they first built the sanctuary, when they first built the sanctuary, they built all the things, yes? And all the ladies came out with their, with their mirrors, and then they made the thingy, and they made the curtains with the skins and all these things. The high priest would go in and take some blood, and he'd put it on the, 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 uh, the um, uh, golden candlesticks, table of showbread, and the, and the altar, and then he'd go into the most holy place and he put some blood on the on, on Ark of the Covenant. And this meant, it's kind of in my imagination, he's turning everything on. He's what? It's the first time that these stuff, he's, he's, he's sanctifying, he's inaugurating, he's starting these things off. So he turns like, and, and that's the only time where he would go inside. And it was a one-time thing. Yes? So the question is this. When Jesus died and he went to heaven, he started his holy place ministry, yes? But did he go into the most holy place to inaugurate the entire system altogether? 
Yes. He goes in and he starts everything on. And that's what Paul's talking about in these other verses. He talks about in chapter 6 and chapter 10, he's like, praise the Lord. He goes in and he's starting, he's turning, he's turning on, switching on the, the, uh, the entire sanctuary. Um, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, you guys should know this, this prophecy. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people, upon the holy city, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and lastly, what's there? To what? To anoint the what? The most holy. Meaning he's turning the things on. This is one of the functions of the Messiah when he comes and when when he ascends back to heaven. Okay? Argument number two. Argument number two. This is a little bit more. This is a little bit more intense. Argument number two, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. Bible reads, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, the sanctuary, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Okay? This word for holy place, in the Greek it gets pretty complicated and all translations are incorrect, but it means the sanctuary. It's another study altogether. But what, what these guys are saying is this. Jesus entered into the entire sanctuary, most of his holy place, once using his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves. Okay? Does it make sense? That's what they're saying. Now, this is what's amazing. The question is, what kind of goats and calves are these? According to the the attackers of the sanctuary, they're saying that these goats and calves, what day do you see goats and calves coming together? Well, it's automatically the Day of Atonement. Do you see goats in the Day of Atonement? Yes. Do you see calves in the Day of Atonement? Yes. So they're saying, hey, this verse, chapter 9, verse 12, is talking about the Day of Atonement. Meaning when Jesus went up to heaven... He did not start his holy place ministry, but boom, the Day of Atonement started immediately after the, uh, the, the ascension. Well, in Greek, those two words for goat is tragos, and calves is maskos. Okay? You don't have to know this, but if, you, if you're curious. And when praise the Lord, when we went back to Scripture, we always go back to Scripture, we look at the Greek. The word for tragos is used for inauguration goats, and then kimaros is used for atonement goats. Okay? So this is amazing. When we went back to the Greek, Desmond Ford and all these other guys, they thought they would have found kimaros, and if it was kimaros, then this is talking about day of atonement, and game over. Adventism is done. Yes? But we did not find kimaros. We found what? Tragos. Meaning when Jesus went up to heaven, this was not the day of atonement, but it was a what? Inauguration. So inauguration, and it, it, it intensifies the argument when Jesus went up to heaven, the holy, uh, the holy place and the most holy place ministries were initiated, were commenced, were started, were activated from that point on. Yes? During, in the day of, a day of inauguration. My understanding is he, he would cleanse the most holy place first and then come on out with the whole most, and, then, and then the holy place and then, and then progress his ministry from that point on. Yeah, good question. Good question. Anyone else? Okay, 
Okay, now, the, 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 for some of you, you're like, man, whoa, this is like goats and calves and, and Jesus. Okay, the whole point is this. What is Jesus doing right now? We have no idea. And so the book of Revelation says, hey, we're revealing what Jesus is doing upstairs. Okay, does this excite you? And then Revelation talks about those who are around in the last days are those who, whose eyes are always what? Focusing on what Jesus is doing right now. Okay? My obsession is let's, let's, let's have a people who are obsessed also with what Jesus is doing for us. Amen? Okay, let's keep on going here. Okay? Anyway, I hope this strengthens your, your, your faith um, in the Adventist message. The other thing here is you see the judgment, okay? The judgment, the judgment is an, oh, whoopsie. The judgment is another word for, for the cleansing of the sanctuary. Uh, what happens is this. All the sins get come into the sanctuary, and in the day of atonement on one day, Jesus goes into this second room, and he's looking over the books and, uh, and, and seeing which of these sins are, 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 really, are really real and, 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 and which of them are, are, have been really repented. And he's going through the process of judging. Okay? Now, the judging is not a British judge. When I think of a judge, I think of a British judge. I don't know why English people have those you know, funny white curl, curly uh, things and he's got a black robe on, he's got a hammer, and he's like, Guilty! And sometimes in, a, in, our, in my imagination, God is thinking of, how many sins do you have, Justin? 44. You only have 44,000 sins. How many righteous things have you done? Two. 44,000 minus two is what? 43,998 sins. Guilty. Door opens. Going down. That is the imagination that many people, non-Adventist and Adventist, have of the judgment. Amen? Yes or no? Okay. But the judge, a better definition of judge, is not a British judge. And I'm not against British people. I'm, American judges are the same thing without the funny hat. But the judge, the biblical judge in the, in the Bible, in the book of Judges, is someone who's defending God's people. Yes? You have Samson. You have... Uh, I don't I think of any judges, Jephthah, and then you have all those other guys <laughs> in, the, in the book of Judges, and they're defending God's people, okay? And Jesus is our judge. He's defending who? Us, okay? Now, he's going through, and, 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 and here's the point, okay? Um, well, let's, let's look at the judgment. Some people say that the judgment hasn't come or judgment is, is in the future. Uh, let's go to Acts chapter 24, verse 25. This is Paul. As he reasoned of righteousness and temperance and judgment to what? Judgment to come. Judgment to come, meaning what time period is this judgment? In the future, in the future to who? To who's the speaker here? To Paul, okay? Meaning for Paul, judgment is not when you die. It's not, in the, it's not uh, something that's taken place in the past or the present. It's in the, it hasn't happened yet. In Acts 17, 31, it says, which he will, he will judge the world. Romans chapter 2, verse 16, God shall judge the secrets of men. Okay? In Daniel 7, you see the chronology of this. I'm going to go through this really fast. You should know this. In verse 4, you have the lion Babylon. Verse 5, Medo-Persia, the bear. 6, Greece, leopard. 7, the beast of Rome. The beast of, yeah, beast of Rome. 
In 7, you have the ten horns. Chapter, verse 8, you have a little horn coming out. This is all chronological. And right after this, you have a what? In chapter 9, verse... Battery doesn't add a power. Okay. Uh. There we go. Okay. Are we good? We are good. We need an inauguration of my computer. Turn it on. Okay. We have a chronological here. We have, we have a judgment in heaven happening sometime after the papacy comes out. It's in the future. Um, go to January chapter 7. Let's actually look at that verse there. January chapter 7, verse 9. January chapter 7, verse 9. I held till the thrones were cast down, or set up. The ancient days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, hair as his head, like the pure wool. His throne was like a fiery flame and wheels of burning fire. Did we talk about the wheels? A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him. Thousand thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set and books were opened. Okay? So we see a judgment. And right after the judgment is the what? It's the second coming. In verse 13 and 14. We see that there are, I saw like in night visions, behold, one of the Son of Man come with the clouds of heaven, came to the ancient days, and they brought him before him. There was with him dominion, glory, kingdom, all, that all people, nations, and tongue, uh, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. We see chronology. There is a judgment that's to happen. The judgment is not after the second coming. It is before the second coming. Uh, Daniel chapter 8. Here we see a French fry. Okay. For those of you guys who just joined us, you might be thinking, what's a French fry? Um, Tough, you got to get the context of, of what we're talking about. Verse 16, Gabriel says, make this man to what? Understand. Verse 17, he says, understand, O son of man. And get this. Understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the what? The vision. And here's the problem with English. We use the same word for the for, for, same translated word for different words. Uh, here shall be the vision in Hebrew, it's chazon. Repeat after me, chazon. Okay, you got to get it from you from the bottom, and uh, you want a cleansing of not the sanctuary, but the cleansing of your throat. Chazon. Okay, the chazon means the entire big, big picture, big picture vision. Okay, and then it says the vision of the evening and the morning, marech, which was told is true. Wherefore, shut up the vision, for it shall be for many days. There are two things going on. Angel comes and gives him the entire vision. Chazon. The whole thing. Daniel's listening like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Okay, wow. Uh-huh. And while he's listening, he's like, oh, man, this is, this is so intense. This is so... Uh, and, he, and he faints. The last part he didn't get to understand. That last part is called the mare. Repeat after me. Mare. Okay. So what happens in, in uh, verse 27, he's, 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 uh, he fainted sick many days afterward. Uh, it's taught us the vision, but none understood it. So we've got to go to chapter 9, verse 20. While he was speaking, praying, confessing. Verse 21, while he was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, with had, whom I'd seen in the vision at the beginning, has caused to, to fly swiftly about the time of the evening oblation. He informed me and, and talked with me and said, Daniel, or O oh Daniel, I am now come forth to give you skill and what? 
French fry, yes? Okay. At the beginning of your supplications, meaning when you started to pray. By the way, does God answer your prayer before you end it? Sometimes God answers your prayer before you finish praying. Uh, at the beginning of your supplications, the commandment came forth, and I come to show thee, for, thy, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand, a French fry, the matter, and consider the what? The mare. And the mare is not the big hazon, but the smaller part that he forgot. Okay? So what is that part? It's talking about the, the, the 2300 days, um, and I wish I had a little chart here, but I couldn't download it. But it started in 457 B.C. 2,300 days afterwards, you get 1844. The first 490 years are dedicated to the Jews, a special period. And this hinge is very, very important. 1844 is not something that small little Adventist people believe in. Yes? The, the prophecy of 1844 is linked the end to the the end there to the beginning in 457, but there's a, the same prophecy is linked that starts here the same starting point, but it ends where in this last week 27 to 34 A.D. and in the middle of this week what happened? Jesus died. So meaning this, for every person who believes that Jesus died for them, they have to believe in 31 A.D which in turn links them back to 457 and catapults them all the way forward to 1844. This belief in Jesus, this the salvation, this salvific point, this, this soteriological emphasis is anchored in this date. This is the, the hinge, the prophetic hinge, and this is our, our denominational identity. 1844 is not an option for Seventh-day Adventists. It is the foundation of which we believe in. What happened in 1844? All your skin cells are being scrubbed off. You are now clean by Jesus' blood. Amen? But now all these sins, you know, when you ask for forgiveness, your sin does not go away. Lord Jesus, I lied the other day. Please forgive me. That's not what happens. When you ask for forgiveness, your sin is transferred to the lamb, transferred to the blood, transferred to the priest, transferred to the sanctuary. And the sanctuary is God's bedroom. God's what? How many of you like your bedroom? My bedroom is my most holy place. It is. You have my living room, then you go into my bedroom. In my bedroom, there's a bed. And the holiest part of my bed is my what? My pillow. <laughs> My pillow needs to be clean. Amen? Now, how would you feel, or how do you think I would feel if you spent a whole day at GYC Europe in your stinky leather European shoes and you come over to my house and say, hey, can I rest a bit? Oh, yeah, sure, sure. And you come and you take off your shoes and in your sweat, bacteria, fungi-ridden feet... <laughs> You put it on top of my pillow. How do you think I would feel? I would give up my Christianity. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm being facetious. I'm being facetious. Essentially, that's what Jesus is doing. You understand? The sanctuary is, in a way, God's house. Yes? And the front lawn 
you have a barbecue, a little swimming pool. In the inside, you have a dining table, a chandelier, and the largest air freshener known to man. Yes? And on the very inside, you have God's most holy place, his inner pillow, if you will. And he takes his pillow and he makes it into a veil. And he says, hey, all your skin cells that we took from you, scrubbed away, we'll put it, we'll cake it on this, this, this veil, in the most holy place. Well, in one day, in day of atonement, the whole high priest comes in. So we're going to take this and we're going to cleanse the sanctuary. Once and for all, all the sins of the world will be cleansed. Now, maybe asking, well, why, why? God, why do you do it these three ways? Oh, I skipped here. Let's go to three phases of judgment. There's three phases of judgment. Investigative, millennial, and executive. God, why do you do it this complicated? Why, 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 why not just say, it is done. <laughs> Let's go home now. Okay, why doesn't, why doesn't God do it that way? Uh, but I love the message of the judgment. Not because I'm, I'm, I'm a weirdo. I love it because God is saying, I have an open door policy. I want you to know everything that is going on in my life. Today, I don't know about Europe, I'm sure in Europe too, but in North America, there is a humongous scandal going on, well, it used to and still is, with the Roman Catholic Church. And people want to know what's exactly going on with the priesthood, how they're treating younger, younger children, and all these things. There's scandals going on in corporations. Many people want to know in Wall Street, how did you use your money? Who did you choose, uh, 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 charge interest to? What policies did you enact? And everyone wants to know all these things. And all these organizations, they close their doors. American government says, hey, don't investigate us. Corporations say, don't investigate us. Churches say, don't investigate us. But what God said is what? Investigate me. Total open door policy. And get with us, guys, this picture of God is radically different from what other people have in their minds of a picture of God. Do you know that? First episode is here, investigative judgment. God is opening himself to an entire universe. He says, books are opened, ten thousands of ten thousands, and I want you guys to see what decision I made. And, uh, you know, someone said it here in one of the plenary messages. My grandmother's name pops up. She's a saint. She's the one who prays for us every single day. She's the matriarch of our our family. What would happen if God says, no, she can't come to heaven? Adolf Hitler pops up. Yes, let him in. I would have some humongous humongous, humongous issues with God. Wouldn't you? But God says, "I, I open myself up to this kind of criticism. The investigative judgment is for the entire, it's not for us. It's for all the aliens out there. It's for the Klingons, the Vulcans, the Ewoks, the, 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 all the aliens to study. Why did God make the decisions that he did? Number two is the millennial judgment. When we go to heaven, according to, I think it's 1 Corinthians 10, 
verse 5? Five? 5-1 five or 10-1? So multiple of 5. That's, we're going to be judges of the entire world. So we're going to go to heaven, and I'm going to like, why did my grandmother go to heaven? I'm going to put my, the, a DVD that says grandmother's name. I'm going to put it into the, into the player, and then in a 3D HD panorama pops up. And my grandmother's life is shown. And my grandmother was praying for me every day, and after she'd pray for me, she'd go out and she'd bomb cities and, and kill people and then, like, you know, and smoke and do all these bad things. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. And I'd say, God, you're so, you're so right. You're just, I totally understand. The rest of the universe, they already know. They, they had the investigative judgment part, but we didn't have that opportunity. Then I'm going to go to the library. I'm going to pick out Adolf Hitler. DVD comes out. Put it in there. Panorama. And then Adolf Hitler pops up. And he's like, you know, he's like, oh, mein Kampf. And he's all talking about da, 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 da. And on his deathbed, he says, but I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm so sorry for the things I've ever done. Please, Jesus, will you accept me? This is, this is all false, by the way. This is not, uh, I, I don't know. And I hope my grandmother goes to heaven. You understand but if that were so, then I'm like, you know what? He did all these horrible things, but it's amazing what the blood of Jesus does for even people like Adolf Hitler. Hey, praise the Lord. Does this make sense? But there's a third component, because now there's the what? The executive. And I always wondered about this last one. God, uh, why do you let people die, then you resurrect them, and then you kill them again? Is this weird to you? Like, it, it's, it's um, if I were God and I didn't like someone, I'd be like, rise, die, arise, die, arise, die. That would make me a sadistic God, amen? In many ways, we think, God, why are you allowing Adolf Hitler, arise, die, arise, die. Well, the whole point is an executive judgment that all the saved are in New Jerusalem, we're in that city, and he says all the wicked are arising, and they all come to Satan, ghosts of Gog and Magog, and he gets to the corners of the earth and comes together. And from that point on, they actually see before their eyes, wow, we made the wrong choice. And they fully know they made the wrong choice. And get this, there is a verbal war going on. Some of the, some of the Adventist cartoons make them have like machine guns and like nuclear weapons against New Jerusalem. That doesn't make sense to me. And the Bible doesn't even say those things. They, they, they interact. And here God declares to all of them, look, for whatever reasons, and this, this, and there's a judgment going on there. And the Bible says, everybody, all knees will bow and declare that God is Lord. So even the unrighteous, they'll bow and say, you know what? I totally understand. And I totally accept that this is my fate. And then they all say, God is Lord. The executive judgment is not for the redeemed. It's not for the universe. It's for the who? It's for the wicked. And at the end time, the last thing is, the entire universe is what? Cleaned. We believe in a story. We believe in a what, everybody? Story. So when Jesus, when someone asks you, what is Jesus doing right now? What are you going to say? He's judging me. Not judging in a British sense. He's defending me. Do you have assurance in your faith? Assurance does not come from denying the judgment. It comes from Daniel chapter 22, 
judgment was given to the what? Meaning in favor of the saints. Jesus is not looking for what you've done wrong. He's trying to defend you. He's giving favor into a decision in your favor. Romans 8.34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. 1 John 1.2. My little children, these things write to you, that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The point is this. Some people are so scared of the judgment, they say there is no judgment. And that makes them feel better. But what I'm saying to you is this. If you're scared of the judgment, get to know the judge better. Amen? And it's just a lot more easier. It's a lot more fun. And it's biblical. It is true. Amen? When we, when an Adventist church always goes through attack, go back to what? Scripture. We have a sure word. And this gives us confidence. We need to go out there and help all the other Christians get out of their weird idea of God, get them out of Babylon, and bring them to a right understanding of Jesus Christ. That doesn't necessarily always mean baptize them as an Adventist. Okay? But it doesn't hurt to baptize them as an Adventist as well. Are you confident as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian? Do you want to have the assurance that you are a child of God today? Are you glad that your older brother is upstairs defending your cause right now? Do you want to be a faithful Christian in Jesus' sight? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we ask... Continue to overpower us with your wonder and awe, and may we have nothing but praise from our lips as a result of what of us understanding of what you do in heaven for us. Lord, we don't want to be a courtyard people. Lord, we don't want to be a holy place people. Lord, we want our eyes to be on the Lord Jesus who is in the most holy place. Father, we don't know when he's going to finish. No man knows the hour. But when he does finish, and he comes out of the sanctuary, and he comes back to this earth, Father, may every person who hears my lips, including myself, may we be found ready at that time. Found ready not in terms of preparation of materials or preparation of even knowledge, Lord, but preparation in terms of our character. May we be like the Lord Jesus Christ. May we be loving and lovable as your son. And we just thank you that we have all these revelations of what he's doing for us right now. Bless our lips and may we tell every person we know about the wonderful truths we have learned, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 This message was recorded through a partnership between GYC and GYC Europe at the 2012 conference in Linz, Austria. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.